Hey guys, welcome to today's show. Uh, we've got a great guest today. He's an award-winning executive coach, a leadership consultant, keynote speaker, and author. He's on a mission to unlock human potential and uh, really un help people uncover their life purpose. We talk about so many different areas, but the probably the thing that we talk about the most is intentionality of life and living a life where uh, you can find your purpose and live in that and uh, the freedom from resignation. So without further ado, and oh, and he's got a, a, a book, award-winning book that he's got out there right now. And um, you should check that out too. We talk about his book. And on today's show, I want to introduce to you Michael S. Siever. Michael, thank you for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure, Neil. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, I I appreciate you coming on and uh, us being able to do this dance and uh, learn about leadership and how you've seen that, uh, how you've taken that in your own life, and uh, even the message that you're you're sharing with people uh, today. I, and um, I guess we should kind of start off and just give people a chance to know a little bit about you. Can you can you give a little bit, I, you know, we know that you're from West Michigan, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're born, raised, and, uh, you know, how, kind of a little bit of your story to how you got to uh, where you are now? Of course. Yeah, thank you for asking. So, uh, yeah, West Michigan, spent the first 23 years of my life there, uh, worked in the family landscaping, law maintenance, and snow plowing business. Uh, which taught me an awful lot about customer service and about integrity, uh, quality work, all of those fun things. But it was also a really challenging phase in my life because uh, my grandfather and my father, who were owners of the business, uh, created a very command and control, a very dictatorial kind of environment. And so for many of those younger years from age 12 until 24, I very much felt like a robot inside that business. So then in September of 2003, I ended up getting married. And a couple months later in December, we left West Michigan and moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And that was a beautiful, beautiful transition because we all really almost instantaneously got into the hospitality industry. So I worked at the Four Seasons Resort in North Scottsdale. And it taught me an immense amount about anticipation of people's needs, picking up on body language and cues. Uh, what are those things that you can do to deliver an even higher level of customer service to people from all across the globe? Right. So interacting with celebrities, things like that, it was good fun. So then, you know, as that's all occurring and as we're kind of growing and developing professionally, my now ex-wife and I, she ended up leaving me in August of 2008. And so at the same point as she was leaving, I was beginning a degree at the Thunderbird School of Global Management. And so wow, you're never going to forget the uh, financial crisis. Uh... <laughs> It, it was crisis all the way around. There were so many crises hitting at the same time, Neil. So like she left, we lost the house, we, you know, divvying up money, things like that. Uh, financial crisis, you know, I took on a pretty lion's share of debt from getting the degree program. So there was even the extra hit financially from that. Mm -hmm. But going to school was actually the best thing that could have happened for me because I spent the first 28 years of my life, you know, being this robot in someone else's business, right? I felt not authentic. 
So thankfully, as a student, uh, I was introduced to a career coach that gave me a process and asked me a bunch of questions and created a safe environment for me to become the most authentic version of myself, right? Which is really key, right? Yeah. And that's was something that I absolutely needed. So as a second year student at the school, I coached first year students. And that's when I knew that I was going to become a coach. Having worked in the family business, landscaping, law maintenance, having worked in the hospitality industry for four and a half years, I just knew that it was time for a transition. And it was at age 28 that that door finally opened for me. So I finished the degree program. And then I went to a very large not-for-profit healthcare system as the director of talent sourcing and worked there for about 20 months. And that was a blessing because it brought financial security, but it was also kind of a curse because I wasn't coaching. And I felt very lost again in that. So in February of 2011, I promised myself that at some point by the end of 2011, I was going to launch my own coaching business. And so October of 2011, it formally went live. And, and it was a really gnarly transition because I went from a six-figure salary to no revenue at all. And, and that was, you know, I had to teach myself in a very short period of time, how do I create that stability? And the way that I did it was by teaching classes at a local university during the day. So that gave me a consistent revenue stream while I was experimenting and, and taking risks in my business nights and weekends. So taught classes, worked at Arizona State University as a career coach for a few years until the beginning of 2015, when I was able to formally go out on my own and do the business as it is today. So Mm -hmm. back then, the business was career development coaching. It was a little bit of communications training, and then it morphed into personal branding development and then executive coaching. I spent the last few years really heavily focused in on how do I change organizational culture? right? What does that look like? How do we really help people be their most authentic selves inside the workplace? So middle of uh, last year, 2020, I spent a bunch of time developing the book, which you already referenced a few minutes ago. And so I've watched this transformation in myself that my life's mission, my core values have remained the same throughout this entire process, but the way that I show up in the world is contextual, right? It adjusts and changed based on the environment around me. So today I'm an executive coach. I'm into team training. I do trainings for organizations. I do organizational culture change. I obviously speak a little bit publicly. I have online courses and I have the book, right? So I've got this book that you referenced earlier. And so it's amazing how we go through these transformations in life. But if we have a solid core that we can make these machinations in a very safe way. I, I, you were, you were talking about, Okay, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Secondly, let me get my brain catch up there for a second. Um, you talked about the command and control uh, of that environment with uh, just with the family. And I hope you don't mind. I, I, I want to dive right into this. And there were a number, of, you may see me making some notes as you're talking. I was like, oh, this is great stuff. Um, and, and I could see how much wisdom you would have gained through through this journey. I mean, there's so many different items there and i didn't even write down the financial crisis and the marital <laughs> crisis and the business you know um but uh oh i do need to make a note of that um but the you talk about that command and control culture and i what jumped out at me there's a couple of different things that you were sharing one is you know first of all you had a there was a family business which uh, is amazing in and of itself because it it gives you something w- with regards to entrepreneurship and you get to see it executed 
now you also got to see this culture that clearly was um, stifling. Yeah, I, I would say is is that is that kind of the way that you would describe it? Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, and it was just one of those things that I don't think either my grandfather or my father knew any better. When I think right. about the the small town that I was raised, it was twenty five hundred people in the entire town, mm. and so there weren't a lot of really diverse minds or perspectives or thoughts about how you would run business. And so my grandfather basically ran the business the same way that his father taught him so that my father basically ran the business the same way that the, his father taught him. And I was the one that kind of broke that inherited narrative, if you will. And yeah. so they, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They, they both became very wealthy. And so they, they've had success in their own right. But I think my path was meant to be different. I wasn't meant to be a robot in someone else's business. I wasn't meant yeah. to be part of a command and control culture. Yeah. I feel like I'm here on earth this time to create what I refer to as the align and empower culture where, mm -hmm. right. Where we have the chance where the folks at the top of the organization aren't just giving directives to those that are, you know, kind of trickling or cascading down the business. What we're doing is we're creating feedback loops at each level of the business to align people with their own core values and the business's core values, but also then empowering them through communication feedback loops to make sure that their voice is authentically heard in any way they want to be heard. Have you, and just out of curiosity, have you been able to um, have that conversation with your father and grandfather about the culture and, and what it was there? Uh, my grandfather, no, he passed away in 2002. My father, yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. December of last year, so just about a, yeah. a year ago from today, uh, yeah. I was able to have that dialogue with him because I wanted to tell him about some of the things that I wrote in the book. And yeah. so I, I didn't want him to be surprised. And it yeah. was pretty hard for him to receive. But I've also then since then seen a transformation in the way that he leads the team today. So yeah. even though it was hard in that moment, having the difficult conversation ended up opening up some pretty beautiful doors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I and thank you for sharing that. I, I ask it because oftentimes it's I found that it's easier for us to move forward, but we we neglect doing some of that homework, doing some of that that work because they're left, especially where it's a family business um, or if it's someone that we care about, they're left with just the feeling or sense that we've we've left um, and. They didn't want us or things like that, right? As human beings, we we tend to take so many things personally, right? And so it's it, it's powerful that uh, you were able to do that because one of the things that I like to share with people is, and and I want to come back to what you were talking about with authentic self, and part of that for me is uh, self expression and uh, being able to share where you're at even if it might cause a little discomfort for the person, but not doing it as much for them, but, but doing it for the ability to be heard and known in this world. Big time. Yeah. We, each of us has a really distinct need for that. And when you think about yeah. the way that organizations are kind of designed today, the end result, according to Gallup is that only about 35, 36% of employees are actually happy or actively engaged in their work. And so we've designed historically these organizational structures that were very uh, dictatorial, but they, they, the outcome was low levels of engagement, happiness, mm -hmm. ability to talk about self. So thankfully, over the last couple of years, we've started to see a really big transformation. And what we see in the media today is called the great resignation, where a lot of 
Maybe you've heard about that too, Neil. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but I think that what's happening is, is that March, April of last year, 2020 taught people that they're far more capable of change than they ever thought they were. Yeah. And it also taught them that because they were working from home, maybe homeschooling kids, maybe really having more time for themselves is we've had almost 20 months of people discovering themselves at a really mm -hmm. deep level because they've had the time to. But what that has created is an environment where people are no longer willing to put up with bad bosses or disengaging environments, right? They're stepping up and saying, here's my authentic self. I want to bring my humanity into the workplace. Here's how I'm going to do it. And then so the employer has to somehow acquiesce or adjust to them. Right, right. What, 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 it's interesting because uh, you actually said something as I was uh, reading up about you and uh, your path and you're talking about with with the family business you quoted and you said that you still felt suppressed and and it's funny that you would just mention about this resignation because when I read that a, a quote came to mind uh, from Henry David Thoreau he says the, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation what is called resignation is confirmed hmm desperation wow and um synchronicities and I, brother yeah and i was like that's why you just saw me jump i was like <laughs> oh i gotta great i've got this on my phone i was looking this up yeah. um and and i think so often and and perhaps you can comment on this i i find that there is for a lot of people they they look at the uh the job and they think oh well i'm not being authentic and so they're they're like oh i've got to go the place to be authentic is to go be an entrepreneur somewhere and uh, start a business and that and that kind of thing. And what I when I look at it, I look at it as being authentic and being self-expressed. You can be right where you are, but it's because you're not authentic, because you're not self-expressed that instead you live this life of desperation. And awesome. and I would even share that in in my own marriage. There, there have been for years and my wife and I have had that conversation where I said, look, I need to say this, this and this to you and and just leave it there. I'm not expecting anything from you. I just need you to know um, <laughs> that that's there. And um, and just in that, the freedom and the power that it gave to be authentic and to know and to be known. And and so uh, thank you for sharing this stuff. I, I want to come back to what you're talking about of being your authentic self. Um, can, can you say more of what that means? Cause I, because I believe that there are lots of people that were, that are not meant to be entrepreneurs. Um, but uh, you know, a friend of mine, Shona Welsh said uh, there's another category and we call them intrapreneurs and uh, they're still leaders, still leaders for change, but they're within an organization, which yeah you know, yeah. is, is healthy as well. So can you say something about the authentic self? Yeah, for sure. More synchronicities there, Neil, because the class that I taught at Grand Canyon was entrepreneurship way oh. back. <laughs> so way back. Um, so I, I can't necessarily speak to that too much because the content I'm sure has really adjusted and changed, but, but you're right. 
where you are on earth or how it is that you're working or earning money is less important than the fact that you're actually openly discussing and talking about the things that matter to you most. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you said with regards to your wife was critical is that when we have an opportunity by asking the question, do I have your permission to share something authentically? It's a very simple thing, but if you ask for permission on the front side, then it's going to be received far more balanced, emotionally balanced than it would as if you were as opposed to attacking the person. So always ask for permission on the front side. But when it comes to self-expression or authenticity, the way that I see this or the way that I try to teach people this is that if they're not clear on their core values or their life's mission, I want them to go through a bit of a self-discovery process. And what I do is I teach them inside the book, I teach them how to use the DISC assessment, which is a communications yeah. profile. Yeah. And I teach them how to use something called the 12 driving forces, which is what motivates us. And there are 12 kind of key motivators. I have them do a core values assessment. I give them a, a past, present, and future Q&A so they can see how some of the things shaped them to be who they are today. And then I ask them about their strengths, what, what really makes them different in the marketplace. So if we've had this individual who's a bit unclear about his or her kind of purpose or life or how they want to self-express by collecting the data from these five tools, now all of a sudden you have a self-awareness that you know how you can self-express. Right. So now it's about clarity. Okay. I've got these five data points, these tools, this pieces of these pieces of information about myself. What are the patterns that exist across all of them? Right. So that I know really that it's true for me. And then based on those patterns, what I encourage them to do is to write a personal mission statement, which is just a one sentence statement, why you exist. Very simple. And then to look at your top five or six core values, and then to set us a couple of goals, right? That are kind of metrics driven or objective driven. So what that does is by setting that foundation is that we can then move into confronting fears because a lot of people are fearful of self-expression. Not only do they not know who they are, but then they're fearful of the blowback that would come as a result of saying something to a friend, a family member, someone, you know, at work. So by setting up specific goals and creating the environment for them to self-express in an emotionally intelligent way, now all of a sudden you're raising the vibration, not only of that person, the people close to them and the people around them. So first understand like who you are really at your core, and then think about how you can slowly over a multi-month period, begin to share that with people in an emotionally safe way. Because what that does is it then gives other people that same kind of environmental context to then share themselves, right? So we can lead by example and create that safety for others to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is, uh, I, I like what you're creating there in terms of, you know, being able to share that in a safe way. Oftentimes, I think people will look at it. We, at, myself included, I have looked on situations and thought, uh, or my feelings or what, you know, these things that would be authentic to me, but they, I, I can't share them because it's going to get torn apart and not having any understanding of how to even create uh, an environment where it's safe to be able to do that. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, it took me, it took me many years to even learn that there was a way to do that um, or even to do it for other people. And so sure. I like what you're doing there. I, I want to come to back to, you were talking about confronting fears and Something that I'm I'm just curious about as I as I observe the world around me is I see more and more people 
refusing to call these things fears, hence the need to then confront them. And, and they're just like, oh, this is just the way I am. And, you know, I, I just don't like this or, the, you know, yeah. and they just put it off. And now all of a sudden there's, it's, to me, it looks like a safety mechanism for them to just say, uh, okay, now I don't need to deal. This. this is just the way I am. Don't, don't marginalize me now. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And there are many people who do that. And uh, the way that I believe that this occurs is that if, if, if anybody is aware of who Dr. Bruce Lipton is, uh, if you haven't heard of him, please follow him uh, because he's been studying for more than 50 years of brainwaves, like how the, the brain, how our neurons fire. And what he discovered was, is that from birth until age six, every human being is basically acculturated into their family, right? They watch what's happening around them. And so they learn what it means to be a member of the family, the community, society, fill in the blank. So then after age six, we move into a different brainwave state where we unknowingly repeat the very things we learn from those in that very early stage. So oftentimes when I'm talking to a client and they're feeling very fearful about something, all I do is ask them questions about, well, what's the origin story of that feeling? Right. Tell me something from your childhood, your teenage years, your twenties. And what is that feeling and where did that come from? So then once we have identified the kind of the origin story of the feeling where they learned it from someone else, they can then say, that's not my feeling. That's a feeling that a parent taught me. Right. Right. So now we're disassociating from that kind of mental model, if you will. So then once we've brought awareness to the fact that it was taught to them by someone else and that they have creative license or sovereignty to do the same for themselves, now we can start to think about, okay, here's how you were taught that. Here's why you believe that. Now, what is your actual truth? Okay. And the way that we go through and we address that is we say, okay, back then there was a negative feeling that came from that experience or that learning. We have to honor that negative feeling. But then shortly thereafter, maybe a year, maybe two later, there was something positive that came from that learning. Mm -hmm. Right. There was something that, that came out of that. And the way that we fully release the fear is by recognizing all of the positive things that we've learned over time and then who we teach it to. Right. That's critical is that when we teach a lesson learned to someone else, our brain begins to no longer identify the negative feeling with the event or the action. So the fear dissipates. And now all of a sudden we're in an environment where we can fully express, right? We can really talk about who we are authentically. So it's really critical that everybody listening or watching goes back to those kind of early years of their life and says, what was I taught, right? What was my childhood like? What were the things that were happening at that time in human history? And then they can start to disassociate it from it and create something that's really meaningful for them today. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, oh, okay. Now here's, here's the other side. And maybe this is a bone I got to pick is I find people don't want to do that work. They don't want to actually take a look at that. Um, it's almost easier to, uh, well, it is, it does feel easier to, to just live with it rather than I, you know what? I just went to the chiropractor and, uh, and we were talking to, he was doing an assessment and I said, you know, I've just kind of, it's not that bad. I've been like this for long. He's like, you know, that's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Just the, <laughs> just the way, uh, you know, I don't know. I was, I was raised by immigrant parents that said, uh, you know, just rub some dirt in it or rub some spit on it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know. So uh, I, I would say that there are a lot of people that 
you can say, hey, look at this and see where it comes from. And then the next time you talk to them, they still haven't, you know, they're going through the same thing again and again and again and haven't haven't moved the uh, the yardstick forward at all. So, yeah. I, I call that the upward spiral, Anil. And what the I mean upward by, spiral. Yeah. And okay. what I mean <laughs> and what I mean by that is, is that I believe that each person comes to earth with a, a specific curriculum. And so there are, there are specific things that we, we, we encounter throughout our life. And as we're going up the upward spiral in our life, we will be continually confronted by that same feeling or emotion at multiple times. So each of us has a choice. If we choose to not confront the fear or the emotion early, as we're going through the upward spiral, the feelings in our body or the illness in our body is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as time passes and progresses until the point that you have no choice, but to deal with it. So that will come. Like, I really believe that. Now, the other thing is, is that for folks like you or I, Neil, and we're trying to walk someone through this, we can do two things. We can do three things. We can say, keep going down your path. You'll learn eventually when it gets really difficult. That's that person's choice, right? Number two is I try to paint a very optimistic, bright, fun-filled future of what would life would be like after they made the change, right? What kind of utopian world would exist around them if they were pain-free emotionally or physically, okay? Mm-hmm. Or then number three is I get them to, in their own mind and verbally to me, talk about the cost of inaction, like when they say, okay, if I don't do something with this, here are the three, four, five things that are likely to occur. Now we've planted in their mind that they are responsible for the consequence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they thought about it. They said it, they, they are suggesting that it's possible. So either keep going down the same path, do nothing, or maybe as an external third party, we can offer a little bit of hope for the future and paint a bright future without the pain. Or we talk specifically about the consequences of not dealing with the pain. So one of those three routes will shake a person to the point that they're, they're then willing to make the transformation. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, um, part of me just says, you know, as we talk about resignation, part of me says, yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the cost of inaction. I, and, you know, it's interesting because the part of what we're uh, what we're doing here in this conversation is offering that these thoughts of leadership and what it means to to create wealth in your life in in all of these different areas and let it not be a result of not knowing lack of, of mentorship. You know, it's important for people to be able to see that there are, there are men and women that will walk, will literally help you walk through that, through that journey, through those, those uh, struggles um, in, in your life, in whatever area. And, um, and even with that, it's amazing the demographic that will still stay on the sideline. And I, um, there's a song out, I think, I don't know who it's, I think it might be Kanye West or something. And he takes this little quote from, uh, from, I think a sermon that, um, that a woman's preaching and, and she says, um, even if you're not ready for the day, it cannot always be night. Hmm. And, and then the song. I love that. In. Yeah. I, I loved it too. I was yeah. like, you know, because it, sometimes we can get so ingrained in where we're at, that this is just how it's always going to be. Yeah. And 
Um, and so there is no possibility for for that for the day to come, for the bright sun to come. And, and yet, if you just apply a little bit of logic, it can't always be night. It can't always be bad. No, I think I think Kevin Hart said uh, said it. You know, if you're playing blackjack, you can lose uh, continually, but you're eventually gonna catch your run. And when you do, you yeah. know, hit it, make your money, and get out. <laughs> <laughs> you well, waited you, for it. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> and and that's the thing is, I really do believe that we all deserve wealth and whatever we do yeah. to define it. Yeah. And, one of the books that that really helped me about six months ago was Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And so through all of the hardship that Victor endured back in the 30s and 40s of last century, um, he really did find his life's purpose by by envisioning some brighter future for himself. So to your point, Neil, we're in this place where the darkness can exist for sometimes short, sometimes extended periods of time but we have the ability to change our attitude about those circumstances that open doors to wealth. And so for each of us, wealth is going to mean something different. Sometimes it's fame or sometimes it's actual financial security. Sometimes it's just control over our time. And so each of us has a different version of wealth, I believe, but the real core of accepting wealth or abundance into your life is believing that you're worthy and deserving. So if you happen to be going through that kind of dark period right now, understand that you will come out of the rock bottom soon. And the lessons that you learn from being at rock bottom are going to catapult you astronomically after. Yes, absolutely. I, it's interesting for me. I think that all of those are available and they may not all like when we talk about the word wealth, all of those things are available, financial, uh, fitness, family, friends, all, all of these things are available. You may not be gravitate to, to some of them, and you may be more concerned about certain areas. Like it's, it's interesting. One of the things I found, I'm in finance, and one of the things I've found is that money actually doesn't motivate me. I, you know, I, uh, for the longest time, I know so many people that want boats, yachts, these kind of things. And I'd look at it and it didn't interest me until then I started thinking about what could I do with that? And, uh, I thought about, you know, you could, you could get, I, and I thought of myself as a kid growing up, you know, uh, in the shady part of town and, uh, not, we didn't have a car, you know, and, uh, if never mind boats, yachts, or any of this kind of stuff, and um, and so the opportunity to be able to open it up to to kids at risk and stuff like that. Hey, come on, come check this out and see the things that are available, and being able to pass on lessons. All of a sudden, I started. I got a subscription to a yacht magazine, and I was like, "Hey, I, I want to start looking at this. I think uh, I'm interested in it," but. The money in itself didn't mean anything without the stories behind it uh, or what you could do with it. And um, and so I think for everybody, there's an opportunity to see that your area of wealth, the thing that you are that seems elusive right now is available to you, whatever that may be. Yeah. And uh, and I think you're you're laying out some really good groundwork for how to move in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. We, like I said, we all do deserve it, and and it really, you're right. Sometimes that the the financial wealth is simply a vehicle for finding a way to uplift others. And so, yeah. when you think about America specifically, you know, back in 1929, we were only a one trillion dollar economy. Yeah. 
And in 2021, Neil, we are $23 trillion economy. And so the level of affluence and level of possibility that exists in society today is drastically more than it was barely a hundred years ago. So for people to really understand that and to see that wealth can be a lot of different things and that money can be a really strong tool, right? I've served on boards of directors before I've made those big donations. I've started scholarship funds for, for businesses and for not-for-profits intentionally to uplift those who deserve to be uplifted. Maybe they're just a little bit earlier in their process or they're a bit younger or they're disadvantaged in some way. So each of us not only is deserving and worthy, but we also have vehicles by which we can uplift others. And I think that's where mm -hmm. the power is. Yeah, absolutely. I, we can't take any of these things with us. Um, so it's absolutely in the ability to uplift others. Uh, you know, I, I actually have a funny thing with the with the word deserve, um, mm. because we I, I feel like we're we always put this deserve into this worthiness category, uh, you know, and and then, of course, we start looking at it and going, well, I don't know if I'm worthy because, you know, uh, my mom said this when I was this and I brought home this test and it wasn't good enough. And, you know, the spiral that 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 runs from there. And um, and I I kind of put it to deserve really this is how I look at it. And, you know, it's that deserve is really a function of the work that you're willing to put in uh, to to go create whatever it is. If it's, and, and when we talk about finances, I'm like, what could, what good is money if you come home and you have no peace at home? Yeah. Right. Like all, all the money in the world isn't worth it. If you know, you're, uh, if you and your wife are fighting continually. And so, uh, and that was, that the, those were some lessons that I've had to learn the hard way around. And, uh, and so I think, what you're sharing here is something that we can identify, you know, any of these areas and, and that are important to us and look at the cost of inaction is what you said, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and take responsibility for the consequence. Now here's, here's the bone that I have to pick and maybe you can shed some light on this. We are in a stage where of life of society where, if you're in a down trend, if it's night for you, if you're if you feel like, oh, there's no end to this, our our uh, health care community, excuse me, has really leaned into the idea of depression, medication, these kind of things. And and uh, I'm not saying that there aren't these cases, but I feel like it's it's too simple a solution rather than doing what you're talking about. Just look at the cost of inaction. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's You're so spot on. I totally agree with you. And you have to turn back the clock to the, the mid 1910s when the Rockefeller family kind of started the allopathic medic medicine service as we know it today. And it was designed to cure or to lessen symptoms, right? It was never about getting to root cause. And so this is the thing, when you look at traditional Eastern medicine, it's always root cause based using very homeopathic organic ways to be able to solve through emotion or through herbs, yeah. and, you know, but allopathic medicine was designed over a hundred years ago to lessen symptoms. It was not designed right. to cure any type of emotional or physical disease. Still to this day, it's not designed to do that. But what we can do is take a look at that system and understand its limits and then we could do what you just said a second ago, Neil, and say, okay, we need to get to root cause. 
Right. And so for people who use those, you know, medications and things like that, please do what you need to do as per your doctor, right. That's between you and your doctor. But the way that I look at this is that, um, I, I learned about this through a book by a lady named Carol Truman called feelings buried alive, never die. And right. It's a big one. And so I encourage everybody listening or watching to, to take a look at that book because about two thirds of the way through the book, um, she talks about how every physical ailment that we have is due to the underlying energy emotion that we feel. And, and so this has been proven in the 1970s. It's been proven through Carol's work. It's been proven through Daniel Goleman, who we really know well for emotional intelligence uh, research. So, and we even know it from uh, University of Pennsylvania, just uh, a professor there, Seagal Barsade, found that emotions are contagious. Literally, when you go into an environment and if you're sad and you go into an environment where it's overly optimistic or positive, it actually turns your emotions around like you subconsciously pick up on the emotion. So we're in an environment where our society has advanced so far. We're almost advancing past traditional allopathic medicine, and we're kind of coming back to let's understand the quantum physics of our body and how it functions, understand the emotions, understand the energy, and then deal with that first, right? Think about the possible consequences long-term, good or bad, the cost of inaction long-term, short-term. So we're at a really interesting time in, in human, right? In, in human evolution. Yeah. And, I, and I think the next couple of months are going to be really interesting as more dark stuff that's happening on earth is coming to light. People are going to realize there's a lot of other ways to live safely. Wow. Um, well, for starters, uh, feelings buried alive, never die is, uh, th that's a thug title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Woo! That's uh, man. If I never read the book, that that title alone, um, you know, it, it's uh, he said something right there, and um, yeah. it's it's so prevalent for for people to just bury uh, bury their feelings and and not look at where those things come from. Um, and and I and what you're saying is so true, and and right we we are, I think we're, we're even witnessing some of that revolt happening right now. Um, you know, I was just sharing about, uh, going to the doctor and we were talking about, he was asking about when I got sick last and, you know, colds, this and that. And I was like, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't been sick in years. Yeah. And I attribute that a lot to back to what you were saying, uh, in the very beginning, authentic self. The more authentic I've gotten with myself, the more that I have lived in my core values, my commitments, the less stress I've had. And it's not because I don't have stressors, not because I don't, I'm not doing work or I'm not doing anything. It's that those don't occur as, as stressors to me, so to say. Yeah. Right. And so yes, there's, there's no tear down on the, my system. There's, there's, there's no reason to even need to take a break. I, I, uh, I love to say to people that, look, I, um, uh, you know, if you're working hard, good for you, but I'm going to outwork you cause I'm playing. So, I right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I can play for 18, 20 hours a day <laughs> and, and I don't need a break from it. Right. And, and so I try to inspire people that way, look for where you can play in it. And that doesn't mean not doing work. It can be hard work and you can love it. I used to play rugby and we'd loved, loved it. Right. Nice. You get beaten around and all that yep. stuff. Yep. And so I, I 
think what you're saying is spot on when it comes to uh, even just our our own personal health. If we're if these toxins that we're keeping in our body through our emotions, mm. they literally are eating us alive. And the the key to that is is getting those things out of there. Big time. Yeah, I completely agree. And thank you for saying that, Neil, because it's one of the most important things you could say is that at this time in human transition, right? We in 2012, you might remember the the Mayan calendar ending in 2012. Remember that? So Oh, I, we, uh, we, made, we made a movie about it, <laughs> which I happen to like. But <laughs> yeah. but the thing that I want to call out about that is that the Mayans weren't predicting the end of the world. They were predicting the end of what's called the age of Pisces. And so NASA refers to this as the precession of the equinoxes. And so basically Earth's magnetic pole shifts every 2000 years, just a thing that happens on Earth, right? So in 2012, it was the end of the age of Pisces, the magnetic pole shifted. So we are now in what's referred to as the, the age of Aquarius. And so very, very different style, very different age. I really so feel a need to sing out right now <laughs> in the song. Okay, sorry, sorry. No, okay. you should... We should, we should definitely add more of that in. We definitely need more. Um, so the age of Aquarius is very different from the age of Pisces. The age of Pisces yeah. was the belief that we found meaning by believing in something outside of ourselves. So we believed in politicians and athletes and celebrities and fill in the blank. In the age of Aquarius, the transition we're making is that people are starting to believe in their own life's purpose. So they take information from people like you or me, Neil, and they, you know, find a way to integrate it into their being. And then they start life based on their terms, their purpose, their mission, their why, as opposed mm -hmm. to emulating somebody they see on TV. But as we're navigating this, let's say 20 year transition on earth, it's uncomfortable because so many people are having to shed the old mindset from the age of Pisces. And it's taking them a long time to shed those old mental models. So the blessing that has come from the pandemic is that it's given people a chance to self-express. Now, now, granted, the, the beginnings of it have been very bipolar in that, you know, it's, it's, I'm, you know, I'm pro 1% or I'm pro 99% or I'm pro Democrat, I'm pro Republican, yeah. right? There's been a lot of polarization, but the thing that I've loved about it is that people are finally using their voice. They're finally expressing, mm. right? And so for 20 months, we've been in this process of self-expression. So as we continue this move over the next couple of, let's say, years, I think that we're going to begin to be more living our purpose at higher rates and, and more, and it'll give more and more people the freedom to then do that for themselves, to shed those old mental models, to feel safe to self-express, to overcome those fears, if you will, and to, or to begin to feel worthy of different types of wealth in their life. And so, mm. so what you're going to see for the next probably year or so is still a lot of emotion, a lot of wonderment, a lot of self-expression. Um, and then after that, I think a door will open and we're going to see a very different type of earth here, a much more utopian world where people um, do things in small groups based on core values, not based on working with such and such organization. So I don't know the timing of it all. I just think that the transformation that we've seen since 2012 over the last 10 years Let's say we have another eight or nine years to go to make this transformation like full and whole. And so, of course, it's nerve wracking and anxious and we're seeing a lot of people with stress. But if you can envision that brighter future and you can find balance in your day by managing your time or playing, like Neil was just saying a few minutes ago, like <laughs> what's your version of play? 
right? Yeah. And so yeah. for me, it, it's helping people. So whenever I'm helping a person, whether I'm making money doing it or not, it's play. It gives me energy. Yeah. I feel balanced. Yeah. So everybody listening, find your version of play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and and I, I think that if people can go back to their commitments, uh, those things that, that drive them, they will find those, those areas of play. They'll find those things that actually energize them. And I, I find oftentimes we're, we're too busy. Uh, we're, we're too busy tearing ourselves down for things like, um, you know, a, a lack of self-discipline. Oh, you know, I was, I went on this diet. Oh my goodness. Let's talk about that. Uh, um, you know, I went on this diet and then I, you know, did this and I couldn't do that. And then it must mean that I, I lack integrity or it means, you know, I've got no yeah. self-discipline, no will and, you know, tear yourself down to endless amounts. And, um, and there's no wonder you can't <laughs> go any further yeah. So do you, I don't know if I, speaking of resignation, I don't know if I see a change in any of these, these things for the vast majority of people, because I, I, a lot of me just feels like it takes something from a person yeah. to make these changes in their life. And um, oftentimes we see people just don't want to pay that price. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There will definitely be those individuals who don't. And yeah. like we like we talked about the three options earlier, they will be they'll choose option yeah. one where they, <laughs> they just wait till the negative event. And, yeah. you know, my dad was definitely one of those folks or even myself when my first wife left me. Right. It's like like and so <laughs> when you really think about it, like my dad, you know, very, very successful in his own right. But in 1995, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And mm. he's, he's in remission. He's fine now. But that was the, that was the result of him participating in a series of, you know, projects and work things that he was genuinely not interested in. And he was pushing his body. He got very stressed, he got anxious and nervous And the way that the universe got his attention was to, you know, kind of create that, that environment in his body that allowed for the cancer to grow. And then it happened for me in my own respective way, not through physical illness, but I was basically absent from five years of my marriage and she was trying to build a business. I was trying to build business within the hospitality industry and, and make a name for ourselves, but we worked on opposite sides of the town. So we didn't see each other very much. We had very different schedules. And so of course it was shocking when she left, but when I reflect back on it now, it was absolutely the right thing to do because not only was I not showing up for myself, I definitely wasn't showing up for her. And that's the thing is like, you have to be able to make those short-term sacrifices and understanding what you need and what your partner needs in order to create a very meaningful, fulfilling relationship. And, you know, both she and I were so committed to work that I was definitely not showing up to her in the way that she deserved. Whoa. Okay. You just said a terrible thing there. Okay. Uh, you said you needing to make sacrifices. I'm sorry that I think that that word's up there with the F word. Is I it? Forget it. The F word's way below. <laughs> uh, nobody cares about the F word. Um, don't don't dare say sacrifices. Okay. Why not? Why do you think that? <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying it, that I I believe heavily in it. Um, and if you're going to commit to a partner, uh, uh, understanding the 
the differences in each of you. You're two separate human beings. Yeah. To me, any parent on this planet knows sacrifice is a is a part of life. Yeah. There's no way around it. Um, you have a child that cannot do anything for itself. You have to sacrifice your time, your effort, all these things. Uh, and I think it's a little easier for people to see that when it comes to to children, even though there are some people that will resent that as well. Um, but but in a marriage, uh, we always have this thing that the other it's the other person's job to add to our life. And we don't see that part of us adding to their lives is we may have to give up some things or sacrifice some things. And so it's yeah. literally become something like a taboo word to say that, why can't I have everything? Uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are, oh, there's a statement that I've been hearing and what are you bringing to the table? <laughs> I mean, I get some of the the egoism, the individualistic kind of center, but I'm much more like you, Neil. We, we're very synchronous in that way in that there's an honoring and a recognition of the other person inside fulfilling relationships yeah. in that, you know, uh, Tiffany and I a couple of months ago saw what's called an astro cartographer. And an astro cartographer is a person who uses your astrological charts, plugs them into a system and tells you where on earth you should do business and where you should live. Based on based on energetic lines of support. And I was listening to the uh, recording again last night, and it was really meaningful for me because it drew me even closer to my partner, Tiffany. So we've been together for about two and a half years. And when I saw how we were connected in a very, very deep kind of energetic way, I wanted to sacrifice or really contribute meaningfully to her life. Like I really wanted to, you know, give of myself to her really powerfully because in energetic ways and in physical ways, she has given to me an astronomical amount, like beautifully. And that's the thing about life is that everybody around us serves as a mirror for us. So what can we learn from somebody? What can we give to somebody? And how does that really uplift and help us? So sacrificing for a child, for a spouse, for someone in your community, it's probably one of the best things we could do. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I've I've never heard of an astrological cartographer, but I can, <laughs> but I can definitely tell you that um, if I got that done, uh, it's clear to me that they're going to identify that I should be living somewhere in the Caribbean, uh, <laughs> by the beach, um, with good internet signal yes. and uh, and and an airport close by so I can go travel. But uh, where, where should I do business? Um, Probably in China, because I think I like Chinese food, the best Chinese in India. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Uh, but but that's interesting. Um, it's it, it's interesting. By the way, where are you supposed to be living right now? Exactly where I live. That's why we moved oh, here. Oh, hey. <laughs> so hey. I spent uh, I spent 18 years in Phoenix, Arizona. And so from age 23 to just, just earlier this year, about 45 days ago, uh, living in Phoenix, Arizona, I now live in the triangle area of North Carolina. So Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. And that was after having the discussion with the astro cartographer and meditating on it, talking to some other people about it, we both realized that it was the right play for us. So 45 days ago, we moved across the country to North Carolina. And the interesting thing that came out of the astro cartography session is that I am meant to be doing business with basically finance people like Neil in Western India and in the Middle East, like Dubai, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, things like that. And I was only ever prior to learning that 
ever doing business in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Diego, Phoenix, Albuquerque. I was very Southwestern United States focused. So my business has transformed and expanded in ways that I would have never imagined had I not had that discussion. Because now I'm meeting people in these places, financiers, possible clients, friends, colleagues, things like that, in those environments that are very energetically aligned to who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish. And I would have never known that had I not had that session with her. Wow, that's amazing. I It's even more amazing that to me <laughs> that you would would get that. And okay, being in business, I'm... I am, uh, you're always getting advice. You're always getting direction in, uh, you know, if you're, if you're smart, you're going to always be talking to people and, and learning from them and, and getting guidance. And, um, but at the same time, you, you're also very careful about the sources. And so it's amazing to me that you would, uh, get this type of information and make such drastic transformations moves literally. And, um, and with that level of trust, because quite frankly, it's difficult for most people to even make a, a one minute uh, TikTok. <laughs> never mind. Uh, <laughs> never mind moving across the country. Yeah. Um, and and I it, what that really brings back brings us back to was when you talked about your first year of business and and, uh, you know, <laughs> going from six figures to to nothing. I, no. I love, I love that story, by the way. I love that story because everybody uh, has a vision that they're going to jump into business and they're going to make a million dollars their first year, or they're going to be great. And then you find out usually your first year is a, a complete flop. Um, and we know that on average, what, uh, nine out of 10 businesses fail within the within the first five years, right? Yeah. Uh, which I believe the statistics are around the same as marriage. So it's, uh, you know, most marriages fail within the first five years. But yeah. um, but can you tell us something about what it was to make that transition from something that you were comfortable with, even though it was suppressing, mm -hmm. to to then going into uh, business and, uh, you know, I'm going to say failing, but, you know, like yeah. losing, not, not, not making the money that you want to make and, and what you went through in that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You turn back the clock for me to, you know, it's 2010, 2011 and, yeah. you know, just making all this money working for this organization. And it was, it felt almost identical working for the company. I felt suppressed. I felt like the robot. I felt like I was working six days a week for someone else to be really wealthy. And it struck me one day when I was driving into the office on a Thursday or Friday morning, it was rush hour traffic and the traffic just came to a screeching halt. And I looked around and I started bawling uncontrollably. And I'll never forget it. I remember the car. I remember where I was. I remember what I was wearing. I remember all of it because I was like, what am I doing? Right. Because two years ago, prior to that date, I was taught, I was told that I was going to be a coach and I loved it. I was in flow. I just so appreciated it. And, and I realized that I had stepped away from that back into that same kind of suppressing environment, similar to the family business. And so as I was really contemplating this transition and this move, I had to say to myself, what's my life's mission? What do I value? right? Who do I want to be, right? How do I want to show up in the world for those people around me? Do I want to lead by example or do I want to be a part of the herd? And that was a really big question that I had to ask myself. 
So when I formally made the transition, right, I thankfully I had a big enough savings account to kind of carry me for, for a bit. But what I was really focused in on was what do I need to become three, four, five years down the road? And how do I get those skills now? Right. So teaching classes at the university, you know, working as a career coach part time at the other university, those things gave me a base skill set and a base level income that I had the capacity to take risks inside my business. And so I went back through my QuickBooks account to look at the money that I made in those first couple of years. I think I made seven thousand dollars one year, like thirteen or fourteen thousand the second year, maybe eighteen or nineteen thousand the third year. But I had revenue coming in from the kind of the part time jobs. And so it was OK. But I needed that experience of throwing myself into something and then intentionally working a plan, right? Knowing that four or five years down the road, I'm going to have this thing built and it's going to scale. And so I was going through this really intentional work, this step, step by step by step to be able to get to that point. And then thankfully at the end of 2014, I think it was October, I sat down and I said to myself, am I ready? And I really had to look back at the jobs and look back at that part-time stuff and say, what did I learn from this? Did it prepare me sufficiently to be able to launch this thing on my own? Because my revenue in my business had gotten to the point that I thought that I could pay for all of my bills with the revenue in my business. So then the universe helped me out tremendously at the beginning of 2015, where in the first four months of that year, my business made more money than the entire previous year together, part-time jobs and my business. And so I knew that the universe was supporting me to go down that path. So then the same thing happened over the last year where I had been one-to-one -one coaching. I'd been traveling a lot for speaking engagements and consulting. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits. And now each of us is having to do things virtually in ways that we've never would have before. So I redistributed my time into writing the book and publishing the book and then doing virtual mm -hmm. webinars and speaking tours based on the book. And what I started to realize was, is that the world was going to be predominantly virtual and that I could work from anywhere. It didn't matter in my business. And so I'm at the, in the second year of another five-year plan where I'm attempting to take what's called the you and I know circle, which is a, you know, kind of a group model of coaching that I've been working on for the last year, and I'm going to license it and scale it. And so it doesn't matter where I work if the coaches that are buying into this model are anywhere around the world, right? I'm not just focusing on mm -hmm. Phoenix anymore. I'm not just focusing on the triangle area in North Carolina. I'm now trying to expand the brand around the world so that any coach that wants this model can buy into it. And so it's intentionally saying, am I ready for this next level? It's intentionally creating a multi-year plan and that it's intentionally working the plan. Yeah. And I, I think where people get lost really quick is that they hit rock bottom or something happens and then they get distracted as opposed to just staying focused on the plan, mm -hmm. believing in themselves, staying committed, right? Really doing the hard work that you and I've been talking about in this conversation. Yeah. And so I know that at some point, two to three years down the road, I will no longer coach, right? I know that I will exit the coaching practice or I can pass my knowledge and skills to somebody else who desires it. So I think for each of us to be aware of there's going to be challenges. There's going to be those hardships. But if you keep working the plan, you stay committed to your life's mission and your core values, doors are going to open quite well for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what I really just got out of what you just shared there was uh, the key is intentionality. Nice. Um, yeah. I, it, what I was hearing over and over again in your message was this intentionality in in whether it be intentionality in 
um, doing the homework, you know, going into your life, looking at these things, taking responsibility, uh, intentionality for where where you live, who you associate with, intentionality in creating a plan and following following it through, recognizing that there's bumps all along the way, but being intentional in in moving in that direction awesome. and uh, and uh, and that's that that's just I. I've been making notes here and, <laughs> and it just kind of kept coming back over and over again that, and so um, I uh, thank you for, for sharing all of that. So if people want to get a copy of the book, how do they, uh, where, where can they find that? Yeah, here it is. If you happen to be watching this yeah. on video, it's called, I know practical guide for awakening to what's within and finding work-life integration. And it's available 40,000 retailers around the globe. And so it could be Amazon, it could be Barnes and Noble, it could be Apple, it could be Google. It's ebook, it's print, it's it's audiobook, it's all of those. And I think the thing that that I really want people to remember is that intentionality matters immensely. And I also want everybody to feel safe to slow down and make a little bit of time for reflection. Right. Because the thing that has allowed for me to work in these plans and has allowed for me to see a brighter future has been making intentional time for reflection each day. But I also have a time block on the first of the month where for three hours, nobody gets into that time block. And I look at the previous 30 days and I say, what went well? What could have been different? What do I need to tweak or adjust for the next 30 days? And by doing this, instead of just setting annual goals, right, I have this vision that we're trying to work to but I intentionally make minor adjustments every month on the first of the month during that three hours. Mm -hmm. Right. And I talk about that actually a little bit in the book. Um, and the book is really designed to help a person go from that place of disengagement and unhappiness. Once they start the text all the way at the end, they're going to feel clear. They're going to feel confident. They're going to know what their life's mission is and they can move towards it. Wow. So that we really designed it to do that. So, you know, if anybody is interested, you know, I'm happy to have a, a 30 minute strategy discussion with you about anything that's happening in your life. You can get a copy of the book for, I think, seven bucks on some of those retailers. Um, but you can learn more at michaelsieber.com, I think, to be able to see more about that. And it's behind Neil if you happen to be watching the video. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll we'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, and uh are you, are you on social media as well? Yeah, I don't use that quite as much as I used to, but I probably spend the most time on Instagram and LinkedIn. So michaelisieber.com is the best place to be able to, to kind of connect with my thought leadership and the things that I'm focused on. But I do share more personal stuff, of course, on Instagram and then LinkedIn. I, I share stuff daily with regards to personal growth and development. Okay. So like you, you do, uh, you do the dances and uh, <laughs> on Instagram. Is that the more personal stuff you're talking about? Well, I don't dance Neil, but I have a cat and I can yeah. walk the cat on a leash. So you're, <laughs> you're likely to see me walking the cat on a leash on Instagram. So you probably find Fuck. that. <laughs> Right. Neil is at Thank this you. point speechless. Yes, he's speechless. I'm, I'm laughing. It's great. <laughs> um, I just had a picture of you walking a cat with the leash, and that's um, that's that's brilliant. And uh, I thank you for sharing that more personal <laughs> moment. Um, Michael, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Any any uh, last words that you have for for the viewers? Yeah, there's one of the things that has become an ethos for me, and I don't remember where I heard it, but the phrase is be the person you needed when you were younger. Wow. And when I first heard that, read that, I don't remember where it came from, but that really s struck with me uh, a chord because it said, we all have a life's mission. We go through challenges. We overcome the challenges. 
the highest and best use of our time is to help others overcome the exact same challenge we overcame for ourselves. So if you're be the person you needed when you were younger, you're going to feel in flow. You're going to feel engaged. You're going to be happy. You're going to be full of joy. You're going to feel balanced. Stress is going to disappear from your life. So be the person you needed when you were younger. Wow. If that ain't the truth, um, I don't know what it is. That That's beautiful. Be the person you need when you were younger. And uh, what I can just say to that is that is absolutely true. And and I can say that I'm in a flow state. I'm, I, I feel like I'm playing because I can see that that's who I'm being in, in this world. And, and it gives me peace, right. To, to be out there with people and uh, being able to be mentorship, being able to provide leadership and access to, you know, people like yourself, um, you know, if for those that are looking to, to grow, to take responsibility, to make changes, to take leadership in their own life, yeah, uh, you know, and and the wealth that it can create for them. So, uh, Michael, awesome. thank you so much for being on the show, uh, guys. Make sure you uh, you check them out. Go to Michael S. Seaver. Yes. Yep. Okay. And uh, you know, Michael, thank you so much again. And uh, for those of you guys at home, uh, watching us, listening. Thanks a lot. We'll see you guys next time on the Leadership to Wealth Podcast.